and we're starting a uh, new series here just for the uh, uh, month of November, and uh, we're doing Psalms of Thanks, and we're just going to look at four psalms uh, through the month of November because I think it's important for us, especially uh, during this time of November, that you know we are supposed to be thankful, and uh, November is kind of set aside for that, that we should be thankful people. Um, but I think thankfulness should be the part of a Christian more than just in November. I think we should be thankful all the time. And God's word clearly gives us direction on exactly why we are to be thankful, what we should be thankful for. And maybe as you're going into this time of uh, November during this holiday season, maybe this year has been a really horrible year. Maybe you've had a lot of setbacks in your life. Chances are maybe you've had a lot of disappointments. Maybe people have let you down. Maybe situations have come and they've just brought brokenness and hardships in your life. And maybe you're looking around and you're saying, I really don't have that much to be thankful for. Or maybe this year has been a year where it's just been over abundance of thankfulness, things that have come your way, blessings that have come into your life. And maybe you have notebook after notebook of things that you could write down and say, boy, look at all these things that I'm thankful for. Irregardless of the situation, whether you've had hardships or blessings in your life, the Bible still commands us that we are to be thankful people. And that's what we're going to look at here in uh, Psalm 136. And I want to just show you a few things that thankful things that come into our life are not always material blessings. They're not always things that uh, we may gain in our life that we can look and touch and feel and, and, and be like, oh, wow, look at this great thing that I have. Sometimes they're the things that are spiritual things that uh, that the Lord brings into our life that we should be thankful for. And so we're going to look at that this morning here out of Psalm 1 and 36. Now we're going to do something a little bit different here this morning. I'm gonna, we're going to take part in a 2,000 year plus tradition here. And we're going to read this psalm because as you'll see that this psalm was actually used as they would uh, worship together. The uh, worship leader, worship pastor would get up and he would read this psalm. And the refrain, the, the chorus for this is a phrase that we see repeated over and over and over. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the verse and then you're going to answer back with the chorus, with the refrain. Now, it's very important because this is a, a, a psalm which has so much emotion and so much uh, things that are packed into it that we, when we answer back, when we answer back with the chorus, that we, we say it with meaning um, because we are ascribing greatness to the Lord and what he has done. So as we go through this, I'll read the verse and then you answer back with the chorus. And you can just follow along here if you don't have a Bible uh, with you. And we'll just do that. And you'll see the, uh, the chorus. And here it is. It's his steadfast love endures forever. So let's practice it here just for a moment. Okay, ready? His steadfast love endures forever. Okay, all right. So I'm going to read the first part. And then you answer back with his steadfast love endures forever. Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good for... Give thanks to the God of gods for... Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for to him who alone who does great wonders for to him who by understanding made the heavens for to him who spread out the earth above the waters for 
Him who made the great lights for His the sun to rule over by the day for the moon and stars to rule over the night for to Him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt for and brought Israel out from among them for with a strong hand and an outstretched arm for to him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it but overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sion, king of the Amorites. And Og, the king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage. A heritage to Israel, his servant. It is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. Can there be any doubt at all of the main point of Psalm 136? What do you think it is? For a steadfast love endures forever. You see, God's faithful love endures forever. 26 times in this psalm, we find that phrase repeated over and over and over and over and over again. When I was in school, they used to say that uh, repetition was uh, to help you learn. And I actually thought it was the repetition for all insanity, really. But hearing God's word, it's trying to drive home a point that his steadfast love endures forever. You see, this psalm was a very popular psalm. It was sung several times. In fact, we find it recorded that they sang it twice in the Old Testament. In Solomon's time in 2 Chronicles 5.13, when they sang these words, it says, "For For his steadfast love endures forever. The house was filled with God's glory. And in Jehoshaphat's time, when they sang these words in 2 Chronicles 20, verse 21 and 22, it says that God gave them the victory. So this was a psalm that was very well known. They sang this often. It was kind of like the most, a very popular song. Have you ever had a popular song, a song that you really like to listen to over and over and over? I mean, you just keep hitting the, the repeat button on your truck or your car. It just goes over and over and over. This was one of those songs. This was something that people enjoyed listening to, rehearsing over and over and over again about God's steadfast love that endured forever. You see, in each of these repeating chorus lines, we're reminded of God's unending love 
each time seeing his love in light of his righteous character and mighty deeds. We see this throughout the whole psalm. We see it in who he is, verses 1 through 3. We see it in his creation, in verses 4 through 9. We see it in his deliverance, verses 10 through 16. And in his authority over the kings, verses 17 through 22. And in his care for us, in verses 23 through 26. But as you move through this psalm, seeing each part of God's righteous character, his mighty deeds, we are to give thanks for his character, about the fact that his steadfast love endures forever. Apparently, the psalmist wrote here, and he thought that it was important for us to remember this. That's the reason why he repeated it over and over and over and over and over again, that his steadfast love endures forever. Why did he do that? Why would he go through all the trouble of repeating it almost to the point of exhaustion? Well, it is totally appropriately to endlessly repeat the endless love of God. Because God is love in all that he does and that all that he is. 1 John 4, 8 reminds us and says, Anyone who does not love does not know God. Because God is love. You see, no matter how many times we have heard it or we have rehearsed it, The love of God is the best news we could receive or share again today. It's something that we should continually rehearse. Something we should continually think about. So when we think of thankfulness, God's word actually commands us to give thanks for his steadfast love. Have you thanked God recently for his steadfast love? You know, I'm reminded that sometimes when I pray, I I thank the Lord. I said, Lord, thank you for your love. But what does that mean? What does that mean to say, just thank you for your love? I mean, are those just endless phrases that I'm using as I pray? I mean, what does it mean to actually have a heart of gratitude towards God for his love? I mean, we say that. We say that all the time. Have you ever been on the phone conversation with somebody? I know I've done this before. You know, sometimes me and my wife, we talk. And after we talk, we say, bye, love you. Hang up the phone. Do you ever, on the other line with somebody else, and out of habit, you say, bye, love you. And you're like, what happened here? Right? Because you become so accustomed to saying it over and over and over that sometimes it almost somewhat just kind of loses its real true meaning. But here God tells us, he commands us that we are to give thanks to him for his steadfast love that endures forever. Do I really comprehend what it means to be thankful for his steadfast love that endures forever? I think that's what the purpose of this psalm is for us because God is trying to bring our attention and bring our focus to who he is and so that out of a heart of gratitude, we would have thankfulness in our life and we would express to him thankfulness for his steadfast love that endures forever. So I want to show you a few truths about his steadfast love That endures forever. And hopefully God's word will teach us what it means to be thankful uh, for his steadfast love. First of all, I want you to notice this one. Number one, where our thankfulness should be directed. Look at Psalm 136 verses 1 through 3. It says, give thanks, notice this, to the Lord, all caps. For he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then 
He says, give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. And then give thanks to the Lord, capital L, and then all lowercase O-R-D, of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. You see, it's interesting that the psalmist actually uses three different names of God here in this passage. The name Lord, all caps, the name God, and then the name Lord, just the capital L, and then lowercase O-R-D. Why did the psalmist just write, why did he write this? Why couldn't he just wrote, just give thanks to God? Why did he have to make an interest in saying, I want you to give thanks to the Lord, I want you to give thanks to God, and I want you to give thanks to the Lord of Lords? Why would he go through all the trouble in doing that? Well, if you've been with us on Wednesday nights for Bible study, we've been going through all the different names of God and how those names apply to our life. The name Lord here is God's personal name, and it's the name that he revealed to Moses when he was in the, in the wilderness there, and he comes along that burning bush, and he talks to Moses, he speaks to him, and he says, I am the Lord, I am, and he re- reveals himself of who he is, that he is the self-existent, holy, and yet graciously choosing to reveal himself to Moses in that way. And he says, I am the Lord. I am the self-existent one. I didn't come from anywhere. He says, I've always been. I am the Lord. Then he says the name of God here in verse 2. And it points to his absolute sovereign rule over creation and history. In Genesis 1, we're, we're well reminded of it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. We don't find until later on after he creates man that God then reveals himself as the Lord, as one who wants to have a personal relationship with man. And so he reveals himself in that way that he created all and rules over all. And then he says the name Lord in verse number three, and it points to him as owner and master, that he has absolute authority you see, we are reminded here, Revelation nineteen sixteen, as it tells us where Jesus is called King of Kings and Lord of Lords. This is who loves you. And this is who has steadfast love towards us. And this is who we are to be giving thanks to. So we must give thanks to God for his goodness and love. And look what it says. Give thanks to the Lord, not only because he does good, but notice this. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. All good. Everything that is good. Everything that comes into our lives from him. Even the things that we don't think are good. Sickness, death, defeat, disappointments, heartaches, and broken promises. The Bible tells us that God uses those things for good. And so we are to give thanks to him for he is Good, And he does this not only because he is steadfast to us, but because his love endures forever. We must give thanks to God, not only for his love and goodness, which we see in our lives. We feel it, we touch it, we taste it, we live in it. But if you know Christ as your Savior, we will give him thanks for all eternity. Sometimes people just think that heaven is just, you know, sitting on a cloud, strumming a harp in a nightgown. That's not heaven. I'm sorry. You got the wrong idea. (laughs) 
I was reminded here just this morning is what Jerry read. And he said that, you know, Jesus, he will not eat of that until the kingdom of God. Can you imagine? We are partaking. We're remembering about the Lord. But the Lord one day, he is waiting. He is waiting for all of the bride of Christ to come together. And then he will partake with us. He's waiting for that. And we are waiting to see him. And for all of eternity, we will be giving thanks to God. And is it because we deserve it? No. Because he is good. Because he has proven his steadfast love towards us. His goodness, his love will endure forever. The main reason we need to rehearse the love of God again and again is because we don't believe it. At least not naturally. You see, we aren't naturally prone to believe that God, the God that who has always existed as a triune being who created the universe out of nothing, who governs the affairs of kings, who controls the path of every speck of dust and particle of water, that God delights in his people with gladness. We have a hard time thinking that God actually does that. But yet I'm reminded of Zephaniah 3.17. It says that the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. And he will quiet you by his love. And he will exult over you with loud singing, the Bible says. You see, it doesn't naturally make sense that this big, sovereign, infinite God would love us. That he would love the world so much that he would send his only son to die for his people's eternal joy. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So we need to repeat this and repeat it often that his steadfast love endures forever. We need to give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. We need to be reminding ourselves each day, each other of His steadfast love endures forever. That's one of the primary reasons of a worship time as we corporately worship together. It's not just to sit here and and to listen. It's the fact that we come together and we unite together. We edify each other in what? In his steadfast love that endures forever. And we encourage each other in that. We sing it to one another. And we rehearse it over and over again that God's steadfast love, eternal death, conquering love endures forever. So where our thankfulness should be directed, it should be directed towards the Lord as what the Bible teaches us. I want to show you a second thing here about his steadfast love. What are we to be thankful for? We are to be thanking him for his steadfast love that endures forever. What does it mean when the psalmist writes about God's love? I mean, what does that mean, that his steadfast love endures forever? I mean, we just sang it. We sang several songs about his love that endures forever. Your love shall, your love endures forever. Your love endures forever. I mean, we sang that. We sang it over and over and over and over. But what does it mean? Perhaps in your translation of God's word that you have there with you, you might have a different word than love. You may have the word faithful love. You might have loving kindness. You might have gracious love or even the word mercy. But the word here is very hard to define because it's a deeper kind of love. It is a unique covenant love that only God can give. It's a love that never changes. It never fails. It's always promised, always true. 
It's a love, a mercy, a compassion that we can trust in regardless of what our circumstances may be. You see, in our life, we use a lot of of conditions on people. We say, if you do this, then I'll be willing to do this. With God, that's not the case. With God's love that endures forever, God loves us irregardless of our circumstances. God loved us even in our sin is what the Bible teaches us. And it's that steadfast love that endures forever. You see, the idea behind the word is that God not only practices steadfast love, but God is steadfast love. It's part of his character. It's who he is. He loves us in this way, not because he's required to, or because he just wants to, but it is out of an obligation to his own promise to do so no matter what. Why? Because he is the Lord, is what the Bible teaches us. Because who he is, because it's part of his character, he loves us because it's who he is. You see, it is a love based on who he is, not on our worthiness. Sometimes I think many times in our lives, I've done this in my, in my own life, that when we encounter difficulties, the first thing that we want to do is we start looking around and we say, what can I do to fix this? And we start going through our mind. Maybe it's this, maybe it's that, maybe it's this. And then on and on and on and on down the list, we finally come to a conclusion. Maybe I've done something to offend God. And God has brought this in my life. And we think, man, God must be very upset. God must be very mad at me. But the Bible here just taught us that his steadfast love endures forever. It's not based upon our worthiness. It never quits. You never have to worry that God will stop loving you no matter what. You see, the kind of love that led him to the cross on our behalf... And the kind of love that remains faithful to us today is it's a covenant promise that is only valid because it is a promise based upon his own character and faithfulness to keep his promises. You see, this word appears in many places throughout the Bible, and it's a strong, enduring promise that we can grasp tightly to no matter what is going on around us. His love is eternal. His faithfulness is great, and his mercies are new every morning, is what scripture teaches us. Whether we find ourselves on the mountaintop or even in the valley, his steadfast love endures forever. The first line of verses 4 through 25 recounts the mighty works of God. And I kind of just combined them here, but I left out the refrain. It says, who does great wonders, made the heavens, spread out the earth, made the great lights, the sun, the moon, and the stars. He brought death to the firstborn in Egypt. He brought Israel out of Egypt with a strong and outstretched arm. He divided the Red Sea and made Israel pass through it, but overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the sea. He led his people through the wilderness. He struck down great kings, mighty kings, Sion and Og. He gave their land to Israel as a heritage, and he remembered us in our lowest state, rescuing us from our foes, and he gives food to all flesh. 
You see, these mighty works of God, this psalmist is, re, is, is rehearsing about, is about how God redeemed them out of Israel and carried them through the land of Canaan and gave them a heritage, gave them the land. And he's rehearsing this to the people. And they're saying, yes, God, you have been faithful from redemption all the way through the land of Canaan. You have been faithful and your steadfast love endures forever. You see, it was a demonstration of grace to these people. It was not a reward for the people's goodness. Because in every instance, remember how many times in the Old Testament that we read about as they're wandering through the wilderness? Oh man, how come you had to go get these Payless shoes? I wanted the Nike shoes. Why do we got to eat this bread? Can't we have this stuff that's really good? On and on and on and on and on. They murmured, they complained, and yet God was still faithful. God still loved them, and his steadfast love towards them endured forever. And it was his grace that was poured out towards those people. You see, God has shown us the depth of his love for us. If your circumstances ever cause you to doubt God's love, just look at the cross. And know how much God loves you. But see, as believers in Christ, it's not just enough for me to say, thank you, God. Right now we're trying to teach Evelyn to say thank you. You know how difficult that is? (laughs) Say thank you. No! You mean no? You ungrateful child, you? You see, I don't want to just offer up to God vain, empty, meaningless words and phrases. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your love. I want my gratitude to be heartfelt, to be heart experienced and heart rooted. How does this happen? How do we get to a place where we have actual gratitude towards God and thankfulness for his enduring love? I'll show you a third thing here. How we become thankful. You see, our thankfulness for his love is not just merely saying thank you for your love. Because, see, we're not just mindless robots who repeat sayings of grace. God wants us to experience the depth of his love. And this experience is supernatural. In other words, it's not worked up by human means. We do this through meditation of his love. Why did the psalmist choose to write of all the things that God has done? From redemption all the way as they traveled through Canaan. Because it was showing them that this is what God has done for you. And they rehearsed this over and over and over. I mean, you have to think about it. In the time when, in David's time, David wasn't around during the Exodus. David didn't see the Red Sea parted. But yet he looked back and he saw what God had done. He saw the people. He saw how God had moved. And he rehearsed it and he remembered it what the Lord had done. And so it was through this meditation of this that they saw the steadfast love of God. And in each of those acts, God displayed his love towards them. So if we are to give thanks to God for his steadfast love, we then too need to be meditating on how God has shown us his love. Now, were you there at the Red Sea? No. Were you there when they went into the land of Canaan? No. 
Were you there as they defeated the mighty kings? No, you weren't. You see, he did that and he shows us our provision in our life through the cross of Christ. We become thankful by seeing the glory of the love of God in the real historical work of Christ. I want to show you a few verses here. Romans 5 and verse uh, 5 and 8. It tells us, And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And then look at verse number 8. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So here we have the fact that, notice this last phrase here in verse number 8. Christ died for us. You see, that's a fixed point in history that we can look back towards. And we can say, this is what happened. Christ died for us. Notice Paul did not write, in the death of Christ, God demonstrated his love for us. Instead, look what he wrote. God demonstrates, that's active, that's now, that's present tense. Even though Christ died, passed, yes. But yet the Bible teaches us and says that God demonstrates. Right now, he's demonstrating to us the act that happened Over 2,000 years ago that Christ died for us. You see, this is ongoing. That God demonstrates his love today. He shows us his steadfast love today that continually endures forever. Now, I want you to tie those two verses together. With the outpouring of God's love through the Spirit in verse 5, do you see the connection there? God pours out his love in our hearts and God demonstrates his love by directing our minds to consider the death of his son. So if I want to be thankful for God's enduring love, what do I need to do? I want to show you a couple more verses here that I think are helpful to show us how to be thankful for his steadfast love that endures forever. Look at 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. It says... May the Lord direct your hearts to the love of God and to the steadfastness of Christ. Here we have Paul praying that God would do something for this Thessalonican church here. And what does he want God to do now? Look what he says. He wants God to direct their hearts. That's pretty remarkable. The heart actually has directions. It can be directed towards things. And Paul is praying, saying, May the Lord direct your heart to the love of God. The heart moves towards one thing or another. And here it moves towards what it regards as attractive and satisfying and valuable. So Paul is praying that God would give the heart a sight of the love of God as more attractive and satisfying and valuable than ordinary earthly things. So may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. You see, our hearts are not always steadfast. What are they always doing? Running after everything else. They drift, they waver. There are times when we are not thankful for God's steadfast love that endures forever. 
because our heart has taken another direction and seeing something else is more valuable than the eternal death of Jesus Christ. You see, when the Lord takes hold of our hearts and directs them into the love of God, they experience the outpouring of the love of God through where? Look at Romans 5, 5 again. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. I want to show you one other verse here. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 14 through 19. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom... Every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth. And notice this, to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. I want you to consider what Paul is asking for us. And we're going to read this again, but we're going to read it backwards, okay? Look here at verse 19. He's asking that we be filled with all the fullness of God. That is an experience. You see, we don't always have that. We want it. We want to be filled with the fullness of God. We want to be filled with the love of God. And we don't always have that. And so we go after it. Why do you think people seek after so many things in this world? Because there's something that's missing. And we as believers in Christ, we need to be pursuing after the love of God. Now, how does it come? It comes through, notice this, it comes through an experiential knowing of the incomprehensible love of Christ. Look what he says. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And how does that experiential knowing of the love of Christ come? Look at verse 17. Paul asks that they be rooted and grounded in love so that they may be able to comprehend this incomprehensible love. Well, how does that rooting and grounding in love happen? Notice what Paul prays for it to happen. Verses 16 and 17. It says, By the strengthening of the Spirit in the inner man so that Christ dwells manifestly in their heart by faith. And again, this brings us now back to Romans 5, 5 again, that God's love is poured out into our hearts through the Spirit. So if I want to be thankful for the steadfast love of Christ, my heart needs to be directed towards that fixed point in history where Christ died. And it's through the Spirit of God that is demonstrating to me the love of Christ that endures forever and ever and ever and ever. And this is our problem. As believers in Christ, what we do is when we encounter difficulties and hardships, letdowns, things that are falling apart in our life, we do not look towards the cross. What we do in our life is we look right at our problem. And we say, boy, things are really messed up here. We need to always be looking back towards the cross. Because it is by the cross, through the cross, that God demonstrates his enduring love for us that endures forever and ever and ever. 
And the power of the Holy Spirit is at work in our heart. And he's pouring out, experiencing, we are experiencing that love. And it's no longer me just saying, thank you for your love. Do you experience the love of God? If not, we have not been having our eyes directed towards the cross. If the love of God is not being poured out in our heart through the Holy Spirit, there's something wrong there. We have not been being rooted and grounded in that love. We have not had our hearts directed towards the cross. So are you thankful for the steadfast love of Christ? This Thanksgiving time, are you going to be thankful for the steadfast love of Christ? Is Christ pouring out his love in your heart? Let's pray together. Lord, as we just considered your word here this morning, I need this. I need your love. I need it to be poured out in my own life. God, so many things in my life, I think, are the filling of the love of God in my life heart and life, but really when I look at them, they're just things from this world, things that do not satisfy. Lord, I pray that we, as people, as a church, that we would experience your love that is poured out through the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you would Please be with every individual here. Help them on their own journey of life that as they encounter things that, God, you would direct their hearts. Is is what even Paul prayed, direct their hearts to the love of God. And I pray that you would please direct our hearts. Please direct our hearts. As a church collectively, please direct our hearts to your love. We are just so thankful uh, as, as people of your word that you've given us, that it gives direction and it gives us healing. Um, help us to be obedient to it. We ask all this in your name.